Hey folks, I am Blonde in the Belly of the Beast, and I have here with me today actual social justice warrior. Welcome. Oh no, you did the thing. Oh, Just I'm sorry. Actual, actual justice warrior. Yes. You know, I even put in my notes um, like not to say that. And then I still <laughs> I still did it. Uh the reason I made this mistake is because I just uh, became familiarized with your content. Um, I'm obsessed with true crime, like like many broads, and I've I've gone down this Julius Jones rabbit hole, which led me to your channel and uncovered your incredible catalog. Um, so I've just discovered you in the last week. So that is why I made that mistake. I'm very sorry. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Um, we should just get right into it. We have a lot to talk about. So for those in my audience that are unfamiliar. Could you give some details of the Julius Jones murder of Powell Hall um, and just catch my audience up on the details of the case? All right. So in, on July 28th, 1999, Julius Jones, who is a known carjacker, or he has a repeated history of carjacking uh, with his uh, accomplice, Chris Westside Jordan, worst nickname in the history of the game, uh, decided that they wanted to steal a GNC Suburban. So Paul Howe drives this vehicle, and at the time he was living at his parents' house because he was going through a divorce, and he was taking his children, his two young girls, age nine and seven, shopping with his sister. They stop off at an ice cream shop to get ice cream for the kids on the way back home. This is where they're spotted by Jones and Jordan. They drive back to the house. Jones approaches them as they're getting out of the car in, again, his parents' driveway, and without saying a single word, shoots Paul Howe dead directly in the head then shoots at the family as they flee in the uh to get inside the house gets in the car crushes paul howe's legs as he's leaving the driveway and takes off with the car and just for a point of clarification in 1999 the value that you could get on the street for a gnc suburban was about four thousand dollars so yeah. he murdered him instantly in front of his kids for four grand and he didn't even say anything. He just walked right up to him and blew his brains out. Yeah, no words. He just shot him directly in the head. And oh my gosh. he gets tried for this. He's put on a capital case and he was convicted because the evidence against him, which we'll get into, is overwhelming. And all of a sudden, 2016, 2017, uh, ABC 2020 and The Innocence Project produced a documentary called uh, The Last Defense which is narrated by Viola Davis, which makes the case for him being innocent based on misinterpretations of evidence and a legitimate claim that certain evidence should have been tested for DNA or can now be tested for DNA. So right. like okay. that's, and that has like led to a giant social media campaign. Thus the justice for Julius Jones campaign was born. Right. And for um, those of you that have heard about this, you may have heard about it because it, I just found out that Kim Kardashian is trying to yeah. get the sentence vacated. When you're standing up to this kind of celebrity and media pressure, there must be incredible pressure on on the governor of Oklahoma. Um, this the Innocence Project picked this up and Change.org petition. I think it has seven million signatures. Yeah. Um, so I believe he's he's going he's going to be executed on the 18th. He, he is scheduled for execution on the 18th. He's gone through a clemency hearing. He's gone through a different type of hearing. I forgot the name of it. And he actually recently testified for the first time ever, which I would love to get into because okay. there's a reason he didn't testify at trial. Right, right. His attorneys were like, uh, uh, no. Um, so I think the best way to approach this uh, is to talk about the points that the Innocence Project brought up and what Kim Kardashian is saying. And I, I think the first thing, um, the suspect description, the sister of Paul Howell came out and she was describing um, how he had a skull cap on. 
And she said something about the distance between an inch and a half distance between the skull cap and the ear. And this was, I believe, deliberately misconstrued um, as saying that he had an inch and a half of hair. Julius Jones was shaved almost clean. And she has said to this day that she's like, that's not what I was saying. If you read the transcript, I think it's pretty obvious that that's not what she was saying. Um, So if you want to talk a little bit about this, this is the first point that uh, people on the left are bringing uh, to the Julius Jones case that the suspect was misidentified. So like one of the things that I found interesting, because Megan Toby's description is really detailed. And you would think if you saw your brother shot right in front of you, you wouldn't be able to glean this much information. But it turns out she worked as a costume designer. So paying attention to the details of clothing was literally her job. So Jones could not have picked a worse witness to leave alive (laughs) in this scenario. So what she described was, a red bandana over the shooter's face, a stocking cap, and a white shirt with black trim, which is very specific. All of these items were found in Julius Jones's bedroom, the white shirt with black trim, and the red bandana was found with the murder weapon wrapped inside it in a hiding place in Julius Jones's closet. Now, the last offense basically excerpts one portion of her description, which, like you said, describes like an inch or an inch and a half, or sometimes, if you're watching the mainstream media, long hair which was never said once sticking out from the stocking cap but what you can clearly hear her saying is hair around where the ear connects to the head which is like the sideburn area to to the top of the skull cap and she's never changed her story they asked her in trial which is one of the things that the last defense lies about they say that the the defense never questioned this description they exploited this at trial that um she said that it like the, she said that there was no braids. She couldn't see braids. She couldn't see corn rolls. And the reason this is important is because Chris Westside Jordan, the guy that they're portraying as the shooter, like the actual shooter, the guy that they're actually trying to frame for the murder, had corn rolls at the time. But Megan Toby specifically denies this. She denies this to this day. She's never changed her story, despite what the Innocence Project said. And the description matches Julius Jones because he right. had a fade. Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, This Christopher Jordan frames Julius Jones thing, I think, is particularly preposterous because if everybody is so racist, then why would they try to pin it on the other black guy? It makes no (laughs) sense to me. Um, So I think that the, the next point that needs to be discussed is this DNA evidence. Now, the red bandana uh, should have been tested. I know that, that a lot of strides have been made in DNA testing since the 90s, um, and they did test it eventually was it the defense that pushed for the red bandana to yes. be tested deal yeah so they okay. they pushed for it it's actually the last defense takes place in three different parts it's it's basically the entire premise of part three that we need to get this dna tested and at the end of the documentary they're like the dna testing has been approved we will see like basically this will prove jones <laughs> and and the, the reason they didn't test the bandana in 1999 is because the type of DNA testing that they did was not available in 1999. So, like, they tested it. I agree with them testing it. It's a death penalty case. We have to be sure. But what they found when they tested it is that Chris Jordan's DNA was not on the bandana. Right. And Julius Jones's DNA was on the bandana. And the the odds of another person, another black person contributing to that dna sample were one in 110 million african americans 35 african americans in 1999 35 million uh, african americans in 1999 and i've heard them say that it's actually one in 110 million african american males so that would be 17 and a half million at the time you would need six times the population 
to statistically to find a match. And they would have to have access to Julius Jones's bedroom. Right. Which had all of the suspect identification. Yeah. Uh, it was all in, in his bedroom. So uh, if if Christopher Jordan framed Julius Jones by wrapping a bandana covered in his DNA around the murder weapon, it's like case closed. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, wouldn't his touch DNA have been found on it? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like we didn't know touch D like touch DNA. Some scientists will say they theorized that it existed in 1999, but it was not generally available in in the public, let alone by some 19 year old gangbanger with obviously, you know, not he's not very bright to be able to frame Julius Jones with this DNA and remove his own. So there's just right. no in, in one day, by the way, mm -hmm. because they found the bandana like two days after and they said Jones spent the night um with with i'm sorry jordan spent the night with jones like that night or something like that so he would have had to have concocted this plan plant some dna that would never be tested for 20 years in order to frame julius jones it's just not possible right um so what do defenders of julius jones say about the outcome of this dna testing which is clearly definitive and shows that he's the murderer um, how how can they square this circle? Well, they they've run with a number of excuses. Uh, I, I think it's funny because Julius Jones in his finally when he testified said he never wore bandanas, which hurts them even more because it's not like he said that was mine. But Chris Jordan wrapped it in there in order to frame me like something in my room. He said he never wore bandanas, which is ridiculous. And they what they what they do is they point to some degraded DNA that's on the bandana mm -hmm. and they'll say there was three other people that touched that bandana like minor contributors. But in reality, this is like degraded to the point where we just know it's human DNA and we don't know necessarily that this this is not Jones's DNA or anybody's DNA. It's like a basic thing. Or, you know, when he bought the bandana from the store the person who bagged it for him's DNA. Like it's, right. it's, it's a tiny minor sample that no, nobody, literally nobody on earth could be excluded from. So it's, it's meaningless. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they could possibly talk their way out of this, but the documentary uh, ended saying that they needed yeah. to test the DNA. Well, the, the, the way that they mostly try to get around it, that's their answer when they're directly questioned on the DNA the way that they get around it is just never mention the bandana, which I right. always find hilarious. And I play that clip in my video where they have four different experts talk about how they need to get this DNA tested. They get it tested at one of the most reputable labs in the nation. And then they're, they never bring it up. They never right. talk about it. They just removed it from the website. I'm sure if you went and archived it back from 2017, you would right. see this DNA there, but they just, what DNA? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, about the alibi. If I have to hear about this fucking cookie like one more time, <laughs> my, my head is going to explode. But the alibi was that he was eating spaghetti and playing Monopoly so wholesome and eating yeah. a giant cookie with his family. Um, and I've heard people that defend Julius Jones say, well, the family lived 20 minutes away. 20 minutes. That's yeah. They don't live nine hours away. They live 20 minutes away. Um, so I, I feel like that's that's not a defense. His family was clearly lying for him. Julius had two different public defenders that he he told these public defenders um, that he was not at home during yeah. the crime. And the public defenders did not want to bring the family up as witnesses because they knew that they would perjure themselves. Um, and so and so they didn't. And then he also told his girlfriend and his girlfriend, I believe, testified saying yes. 
that he was not at home during the crime. And then he sent her a threatening letter, <laughs> a threatening letter. If you want to talk a little bit about um, what the documentary said about the alibi, what defenders of yeah. Julius Jones are saying about the alibi. So so the alibi issue, I mean, he's changed his story on where he was multiple different times in public record. But the alibi issue is ridiculous. The idea, it, First of all, it makes him sound like he's 10 years old. Right. He's like, I was eating a big plate of spaghetti. My sister took my birthday cookie. I was crying to my mom about this birthday cookie. And Jones <laughs> told his attorneys that not only was he not home the night of the murder, but his family was mistaken on the date that this birthday celebration occurred, which is crucial because upon appeal, not only did his lawyers testify, but they tried to produce an independent witness who is this woman with like, in terms of a witness would have been amazing for Jones. She was like a former teacher of the year, impeccable member of society, a woman called Brenda Cujo. So she came to the court and she said that she went to Kinko's before she dropped her kid off at the and like attended the Jones birthday celebration. And she actually produced a receipt from Kinko's, which was the day before the murder. Mm -hmm. So we know for sure that this alibi is not valid. We have confirmation that these events, as described, are the day before. So, like, it's just a garbage alibi. And the attorney, if you listen to the podcast where he actually talks about it, Jones's defense attorney, he said, I didn't put that on the stand because I knew it was false. And I didn't want them to go after. I, I needed Jones's family to appear sympathetic. And the fact that they're lying to get their murderous son out of prison <laughs> right. is not sympathetic. And this claim only emerged during appeal anyway, right? Yeah. <sighs> Well, it emerged during trial on the defense side because right. the family was trying to get him off. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the family's version is super inconsistent. I've been watching interviews and all these different things. And in the last defense, the documentary, the sister says, um, like, they're chasing him around the house. And they're like, we didn't know it at the time. But the man in Edmond had been murdered, which is interesting because they say they found out in that version of events about the murder on the news the next day. Mm -hmm. But the father says that him and Julius watched it on the news that night that night yes right. and the sister says in another interview on the real talk and you could just compare and contrast this that they watched it that night like as it was happening which is i mean i'm sure there was reporting quickly after but not that quickly right right and it wasn't just um the witnesses in the car with paul howell that identified julius jones there also were, there were there were two additional witnesses right that put him in yeah. the suburban uh, the day of the murder, right after yeah. the murder. So there's there's actually five or six witnesses. But what the Jones defense team is trying to do is say, oh, this person had a criminal record. Therefore, and they had to gain like Chris Jordan, obviously, if he was the shooter, if we believe their theory, would have a lot to gain by going to the 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 prosecutor and saying, no, Jones was the shooter. So we 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 understand that. But there was an independent witness at the ice cream shop that spotted Jones and Jordan. And he described one of the black like teenagers jones was 19 at the time as somebody wearing the skull cap bandana right here short closely cropped hair black uh white shirt with black trim and then he described the other one wearing something different but with cornrows that's your chris jordan so we already have jones like there's and this was 15 minutes before the murder they followed the Howe family from the ice cream shop to the home. Right. So right. the idea that they swapped clothes and swapped positions <laughs> in the car is absurd. Mm -hmm. Then there's witnesses after the murder. So we have, um, I think it's Kermit Lottie and his girlfriend. And if you want to say they're not credible, that's whatever. But the neighbor also saw Jones mm -hmm. 
like driving the Suburban after the fact. And Jones right. admits to driving the Suburban because he thought he was caught on surveillance video driving it. But in reality, he was caught on surveillance video ditching the car. Right, right, right. Which which just disproves his alibi. Um, I believe that they said that he that he was there the whole night, right? The family. Yeah. Well, yeah, they said he was there to a certain point. And then later on, when they had the surveillance video, they're like, OK, but he left later because they needed him to sell the car or something like that. Also important. Um, one of the people said that Jones can like admit it because they knew on the news that this suburban had a body on it. That's why nobody wanted to buy it. And they asked Jones what happened. And he said he didn't really know. He walked up to the car and a little girl waved at him in the back seat of the car. And then he there's different versions of it where the gun just went off or he thought how was coming out with the gun or whatever. And that's why he fired instantly. Well, the daughter told the police at that time that she waved at the at the man that walked right. up to the car. Yeah. So you have two different sources of the investigation giving you this information uh, that literally only the shooter and this girl would know. Right. And the, it's tied to Jones. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that a lot of the sympathy surrounding this has just been the way that Julius Jones has been portrayed as an individual and as a victim. Um, we'll get into that in, in a little bit, but I want to dispel some of those myths because he has outright threatened his girlfriend um, yes. at the time who, uh, who's you know totally detonated his alibi yes. um let's talk about that and then let's talk about although there were no specific threats um sending uh messages to the sister of, the, of paul howell at her home which just shows like i know where you live change your testimony change your testimony if you could talk a little bit about um how he's been threatening to the family of paul howell and his ex-girlfriend right so the ex-girlfriend is incredibly crucial because her testimony at trial ties julius jones to the gun and a robbery and like basically she found the gun with the red bandana when she found it in the center console of his vehicle which and was she... commissioned in previous crimes like he hadn't yeah. he given her jewelry from a previous armed robbery yes yes this is also another <laughs> ah! more, more devastating parts of her testimony so right. she she asked him about the gun and it's described as similar obviously she can't know for a fact it's the same gun but jones had the, the idea that there's two of these silver guns in Jones's possession or Jones and Jordan's possession is kind of weird. So she ties him there and it was rare too. It was like 25 caliber ammunition, which is apparently rare for a pistol. I didn't know that, but that's apparently what I'm told. And Jones admitted to having the gun in there with, you know, like pantyhose that go over your head, a bandana and like his robbery kit. So she also testified that he had given her jewelry uh, four gold chains specifically he had showed her four but only given her one and the dates that she the dates that she describes are after a jewelry store robbery where jones wearing the bandana with the same gun robbed this jewelry store but the pawn receipts also match up to what she says because the three chains were pawned by julius jones with him literally showing his id in his name the day like uh, right around the days after she was shown the chains when he took back the gold chain he gave her, there's a pawn receipt for, again, like the next day or the following day after that of him pawning one gold chain. Mm -hmm. So she ties him to a bunch of these robberies. And there's, by the way, Jones was pawning stereo equipment, all different. So there's crimes that we know he did that we just don't know who the victims are. Like we, right. we but we know he wasn't pawning all this stuff for no reason. He found it on the street. He found yeah. all of the jewelry on yeah. the street. Um, yeah, I think that this this whole 
mentality that this is a guy that just got caught up in this in this racial web of the criminal yeah. justice system through no fault of his own. It's so preposterous on its face. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this. The people's perception of Julius Jones. I Wait, I, keep... I, I forgot to mention the threatening letter. Like, oh yeah, the, 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 I just realized that was the, that was the question. So her testimony was devastating. Obviously, she also right. placed him in the area of the murder the night of the murder, mm -hmm. and she tied him to other carjackings too, which happened literally a week before and six days before the uh, murder, one of which he's convicted of. So he sends her a letter while he's in prison and it says, listen, you're going to have to do something for me. Now I'm not threatening you, but he said you're going to have to do it for you. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> and he's <laughs> like, he's like, but I got some crazy ass relatives and you know how they're, how they are. He's like, you have to say that you don't recall or you don't remember because you can't get in trouble for that. And what's funny about this is that the Jones defense team has been going with the strategy of saying this letter doesn't exist because in the transcript is transcript as text in the part in, in the clemency hearing. They presented the physical letter written by Julius Jones after they claimed it didn't exist. And then Jones later on, because all these lawyers are not on the same page. They're all telling a bunch of different lies, admitted to sending the letter. But he said he sent this letter to comfort her. What we can read? <laughs> yeah, like it's That's it's incredible. insane. Um, so what did he say in the letters? I think I believe he sent numerous letters to uh, Megan, the sister yeah. of Paul Howell. Oh, Megan Toby. So he sent her letters that were like basically demanding that she change her testimony, sending pictures of Jordan and Jones. Which, by the way, not a great idea because when she saw the picture, she realized that the corn rolls would have been bumpy on the skull cap, and she noticed that the, it was smooth. Smooth. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, definitely not uh, not not the best plan. But it's not just him sending letters because that is happening. But her address is out there partially because they filmed part. They try to film part of the documentary literally at her house. So the supporters are sending letters and they're sending a lot of like a lot more threatening letters. Like there's a limit on what Jones could send from prison. But like her supporter, uh, his supporters are flooding them with different things about change your testimony you racist scumbag and all this stuff which is crazy because again they're saying it's the other black guy and yeah. the idea that megan toby wants a guilty black she's so racist she wants a guilty black man to be executed for a crime for killing her brother even though she knows he didn't do it is it's preposterous yeah why why would you finger somebody else in that case anyway um this poor woman i mean imagine having to go through everything that that she has and then be threatened by the public uh to dissuade you from telling what you know is the truth that is supported by mounds just evidentiary yeah. support out the wazoo i i i just can't imagine what this family is dealing with and the thing that's most upsetting about all of this is that uh uh paul howell and his family have just been totally lost in this no one seems to care everybody's talking about julius jones and what's going on with him this man was murdered in cold blood and julius jones tried to take out the whole family he tried to kill a bunch of kids yeah. and and nobody seems to give a shit about this to give a shit about the family the documentary film crew um accosting her at her home is very upsetting um but she's standing strong she she's done i believe like one one maybe two interviews and she's saying like they're, Listen, th this is what I said in testimony. I stand by what I said. They're starting to do more interviews now. The family has set up like an Instagram, Justice for Paul Howe, a Facebook, Justice for Paul Howe, and a YouTube channel, Justice for Paul Howe. And I believe they're on Twitter under the same name. But yeah, it's it's. I talked about this, about how they, they basically not only... It's Julius Jones killed Paul Howe, but the Innocence Project tried to erase and eradicate his family. Because right. they've smeared them. They've They've... 
they've dismissed them. They've treated them like they're subhuman garbage. Like when you don't ask permission to reenact the most horrific moment of somebody's life in front of their house, like I can only imagine the horror of Megan Toby, who witnessed her brother murdered in a golden suburban, seeing whites set up in front of her house and a golden suburban pull up. And I've seen that reenactment. It looks like her. It looks like the kids. And they just decided to stage that to save a few a few extra bucks or whatever reason. Like, I try to give everybody the minimum benefit of the doubt. <laughs> like, Megan probably inherited this home from her parents. Her parents were dead. So maybe they thought, like, oh, well, the parents died, so they don't own the home anymore. They didn't. Maybe they didn't realize she lived there. But they but didn't the do basic due diligence. Yeah. They could have done that by just looking up property records. True. And also, like, they were already writing letters to the Toby family at the time. Like, you know, not not in a massive thing. The, the documentary obviously spurred that on even more. But, yeah, it's the fact is they didn't care because it's not about that side. Like it's not they're they're not interested in them. And that that's just horrific. Um, and, and nobody's asking this question, but what could they possibly be getting out of this by saying that Julius Jones was the murderer when he was, in fact, not? How would it benefit them in any way? Um, it, nobody's asking that. Like, why on earth would they lie about this? I, it's I, I, I don't again, I don't know. It's it's like the documentary leads off with them claiming like Edmund, this area is racist, which, yeah, yeah. which again, it's like an attack on it's not only they're attacking the family, they're attacking the community. They're like this black kid who doesn't live there came and killed a white person, even in their version. The other black kid came in and killed a white person in front of his kids. But they're so all they're, so paranoid about, yeah. uh, you know, having having the back of the hair stand on their neck with young black hoodlums yeah. coming in the well, neighborhood. It's like, that's what you're claiming happened yeah. anyway. That's the thing is they're like, they're like, oh, this plays into old racial stereotypes about black people coming in from the inner city and ruining the suburbs and committing crimes. It's like it doesn't play into stereotypes. It's literally what happened. And mm -hmm. no, nobody disputes that this is what happened. And the Innocence Project has done this in other cases where they found like the closest white person to point the finger at they just could not do that in this case right so like the idea that edmund is on trial here and they bring up they're like oh in the 60s after the martin luther king riots white flight happened to edmund like that's not relevant that's not interesting that's not that's not anything like this was a close-knit neighborhood the howe family lived a lot in this neighborhood after mm -hmm. paul howe was murdered and his father called the police his brother his older brother because paul howe was a baby came over to the house and saw his brother laying down dead in the driveway. Like this was a close knit community. And the idea that you would try to churn that and smear that it, it's, it's just, it's horrible. And yeah, I it, like the racial components of this is so absurd and ridiculous. I get that's why they're taking the case. Like if Julius Jones murdered another black person, we would not hear about it. Right. Oklahoma has seven people on death row that are scheduled for execution. I think one of them has gotten a minor bit of attention but the reason why this one has attention is because Julius Jones murdered a white person and it was a businessman and it was in front of his kids. Like, that's the reason people should care about it. But it's because he's a black person who's facing the consequences of his own actions against a white person. Right, right. Um, and then there have been accusations levied at the prosecution for using racially charged language just merely by using the word prowl, uh, which is a. Uh, common uh yeah. I, I i don't really think that this is racially linked language and the other thing that i read i think it was on the innocence project website was that one of the jurors said the n-word and said that he should be right. taken out and shot so is that 
validated? Did anybody who so, heard this or who knew about this? So the the prosecution's two racialized things. One was announcing that they're pursuing the death penalty. That's considered racist. That's it. That that's one of the two things. And then the second one is she said that Julius Jones was on the prowl that night, and she he was that, on the prowl yes. that night. <laughs> And then the third one that's like in and out is they say that he argued they argued he was a continuous threat, which plays into anti-black stereotypes. But by Oklahoma law to pursue the death penalty, you have to argue continuous threat to society. Now, as for the juror thing, this is something that was adjudicated at the time. This juror came up and said that somebody said they should take him out back and shoot him at the time. The racial epithet was never present at the time. It first appeared really? in 2017. That I think that is on the Innocence Project's website. Yeah, and it's just it's just not there. There's also like another pointless, a non-existent allegation of racism that I don't believe. And it's it, the reason it's pointless is because it has to do with the arresting officer. The uh, allegedly the arresting officer told him to go ahead and run for it, n-word, and had his hand on his gun. Which you're like, oh my god, if you're like in this camp so racist it's like but that doesn't mean anything like if if let's say the arresting officer was a racist that doesn't mean that the dna doesn't match julia it doesn't Jones. change the facts of yeah, the case right and also, i would argue that that's even true of the juror although yeah. that seems like it's totally unsubstantiated but none of this changes um the alibi situation the dna evidence uh, or who he was as an individual i want to talk a little bit about that this claim that he only was convicted of petty crimes is absolutely false. He had three armed robbery at, uh, uh, guilty charges. I believe he pled guilty in those where he had pointed a gun yeah. at somebody. So um, it, it's actually not petty crimes. It's actually weasel language because at the time of the trial, he was only convicted of these other crimes. By the way, some of them were like if you're they caught him once holding a gun, a fake gun that was sprayed to look real with a mask and gloves near an ATM. Like they caught him in stolen cars and all this. But the the idea that they go with is that technically he was convicted after the fact. So he at oh, the time on. of trial, he wasn't convicted of any violent crimes. But he was committing violent crimes that week, one of which he pled guilty to. And he was trying to make the case that uh he played he pled guilty because his lawyer lied to him. But like he was caught dead to rights in that in a number of ways. One, they found the Mercedes that he stole at gunpoint where he pointed a gun at his head, silver gun, red bandana, same MO, except he didn't shoot this person. They found that Mercedes at his apartment complex. And a, a person who worked at his apartment complex spotted him in it. Another person reported the Mercedes there because he didn't think a Mercedes belonged in this apartment complex based on the cars that were typically in this area. When they arrested him, they found a forged registration document that spelled Mercedes with the Z. In <sighs> In his guilty plea, he spelled Mercedes with a Z. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What an idiot. <laughs> oh, it's oh it's God. even worse because he was arrested for this in 1999. Like, that's when the carjacking happened. He was convicted of this after the death penalty case in 2006. So Julius <laughs> Jones had seven years to learn how to spell Mercedes, and he didn't <laughs> do did. it. Never did. Never yeah, could no. do it. It's probably why he failed out of school. Um, I keep hearing this claim that, well, he was an upstanding uh, student yeah. and and he was on scholarship and he played football or basketball or whatever. He uh, failed out of Oklahoma University, Oklahoma yeah. State. Uh, first semester, o 0.8 GPA. Yes. 
great work well, there, buddy. It's never played on a team there. Yeah, it's it's crazy because like they'll they'll show like pictures because people don't know. They'll show pictures of him and in the reenactment, he's always wearing a basketball jersey because they mix it up whether he was a basketball player or a football or a player. Football player yeah. First of all, I would go with football because he's five foot nine. Like he's not playing serious college basketball <laughs> at five foot nine. That's yeah. just not the case. But he played basketball in high school. I think they won state once. And this is like irrelevant information that they give us about how like, look at him. He's a star, but he never played for an Oklahoma sports team. Any of them at all. He got a scholarship out of high school. True to Oklahoma university. Wasn't going to class 0.8 GPA. I don't even know how that's possible to get a 0.8 GPA. Like if your room, if your temperature is around 98 degrees, like you should be able to at least get a, a one GPA, but he got yeah. a 0.8. He says he was in summer classes looking forward to his sophomore year, whatever. He was literally kicked out after his first semester. He lost his scholarship. He was not in school. And you see like James Corden talk about how he is a great student. The documentary portrays him as a great student and a student athlete. And I remember there's a podcast that I did, the Mile Higher podcast, oh. where they, they talked about him walking onto the basketball team and just joining up. And it's like, he even in the Viola Davis documentary, they say his plan was to try to walk on. But like, you know, the game of telephone, it's like, oh, he did walk on. He's like right. a basketball superstar. And it's like, no. Yeah. Um, They just man, their blindness in that podcast was egregious. I was watching that like, oh, I want to just get in there. Um, One of the things that they said that was so infuriating to me is that he was not allowed to testify on his own behalf. Oh, um, I'm like, these people don't have just just any constitutional understanding. You're you're always allowed to do that, you know, and um, something that you said in your video, Julius Jones has had 13 appeals. The Supreme Court has said that this case is solid four times. Yeah. And in yeah. testimony, he was like, no, I don't want to I don't want to testify on my own behalf because he knew that he was going to sink his own case with his idiot lies. Um, yet these politically motivated organizations and individuals and podcasters are all hell bent on categorizing this as this innocent man that's caught in a racist justice system through no fault of his own. And um, they're saying that he's about to be murdered by the state. The irony. Yeah. Right. Uh so if you could talk a little bit about that, did they mention that in the documentary? Yes. So in oh. the documentary, they say that Jones didn't even know he wasn't going to be able to testify in his own trial. As you pointed out, 13 appellate court courts reviewed this. This is such a basic constitutional like issue. I mean, we watched the Rittenhouse where something close to this about him not speaking to the police was brought up and the judge's reaction to this because it would torch yeah. the case, which right. by the way, epic on the judge. Epic, like, right. That, that's how basic this is. And the on the Jones family website, the Justice for Paul Howell website, they have a transcript, but it's only part of it. And it shows him refusing two times. Mm -hmm. In my video, I pulled up this document, which shows him, again, this is the transcript of the court testimony, his own words, refusing four times. In the pardon and parole hearing, they must have found another page. He refused it five times in this hearing, and it's and he admitted that he refused it, but he changed his story to, oh, I don't want – I didn't want to show emotion in front of the jury. Like, I wanted to testify, but my lawyer – like, basically, he's an idiot, and he didn't understand the judge's very direct, simple questions – and, That's ir irrelevant anyways. Yeah. Is that any basis to say that his constitutional rights were violated? Being well, like, I'm too stupid to understand. Yeah, it's actually it's actually not. That's even not true. And he didn't like basically he didn't want to show in front of the jury because his lawyer advised him not to do that. But Oklahoma law actually considers this. And this is one of the benefits of Julius Jones's lawyers, not only being liars, but being people who don't practice in the state of Oklahoma. 
they never have this hearing where they ask you if you want to testify in front of the jury. So there's a great moment in that part in that clemency hearing where the one guy on the board who's asking Jones questions says, OK, you didn't want to show a motion in front of the jury. And he's like, that is true. He's like, the jury wasn't there. And Jones is like, oh. And then he says, oh, well, they were there. And he's like, no, by law, they weren't there. And the guy makes fun of the lawyers later on for not knowing this, because if they tried one case in the state of Oklahoma, right, then they, they would know this. Mm. And so he like Jones is a serial liar. And after it's said repeatedly that they weren't there without acknowledging that he's dead wrong on something he's been saying this for a long time, he says, I didn't want to show emotion in front of the judge. Like he just changes his story on the fly and you can see it on video. It's amazing because he, he has no case. And it's like, yeah, the Oklahoma, by the way, that's a very progressive, like uh, like very pro defendant kind of thing to have in one of the reddest states in the country. Right. But yeah, so it's total nonsense. He admitted that he said it in the that he was asked in the testimony. The documentary frames it like he was never even told they just rested. Which, by the way, I do want to talk about the defense resting because that's another sure. stupid talking point. Yeah. So they what what's what's presented is like and, and this all this relies on people having no legal knowledge. What's presented in the documentary is that after the prosecution put on their case, the defense is like the defense rests and then they just put them to death. Basically, they gave them the death penalty. They didn't put on a defense. What the defense resting means is that they're not calling their own witnesses because they had no witnesses to call that weren't called by the prosecution can't call the family it's been adjudicated on appeal that that was a good decision and their alibi was false because they would have called brenda cujo and she would contradict the alibi they they julius jones wasn't going to testify so they couldn't call him right everybody else that they that they were gonna uh call was brought up by the prosecution so the defense was conducted in cross-examination so it's they make it seem like they didn't defend Jones. It's not true. He cross-examined all the witnesses. They just had the same list of witnesses. Like that was that was the issue. So like even that is really weaselly language that they didn't put on a defense. They actually put on a really good defense. And the lawyer for Jones is portrayed as this bumbling idiot. And they're like, he never tried a capital case, which is true. But he had tried at least a dozen murder trials. And all of their arguments for ineffective counsel are related to the murder trial portion of it, not related to the capital offense portion of it. And also, this guy's gone on to be a legendary lawyer. Even then, he had a really good record. People don't realize they think public defenders are idiots. But, like, nobody has the trial experience that public defenders right. have. Definitely. Like, they become when, public defenders so yeah. that they can get the trial experience. And, and when these big lawyers, like, you know, like Ben Crump and all these, like, woke lawyers that you see on TV, like, actually take on a case – they don't know anything about the laws. They actually mm -hmm. contract out the public defender's office <laughs> in order to defend their case. So right. even the big lawyers are using public defenders because that's how good they are. Oh, this is so preposterous. I wonder, I wonder if Kim Kardashian knows any of this. Do you think that some of these celebrities truly believe in his innocence? Or is this just a, a plea from the public to get these um, these social points, to accrue kind of social justice points where these white people uh, are perceived by others as like fighting for the black cause? Is that the whole reason they're doing this? I mean, I, I think if you only get one side of the story and you don't even acknowledge the other side, then it's easy to fall into those traps. The Kim Kardashian thing is really questionable because there's like a pattern. And uh, Devin Tracy, Atheism is Unstoppable, has labeled this pattern like the illiterati. 
because <laughs> she takes on only cases. It appears like she's taking on only cases of black people that kill white people with alliterated names. Julius <laughs> Jones, Crystal Kaiser, Kevin Cooper, Rodney Reed, Purvis Payne, uh, Bernard, uh, Bernard. I forgot what his last name is, but it definitely has a B in the last name. And all these people are black people that kill white people that are 100% guilty. They mm -hmm. even get extra DNA testing and it proves them guilty, like in the Rodney Reed case and the Kevin Cooper case. And the, but they all have alliterated names and Kim Kardashian's like trying to get them out. But I watched an SNL thing where Kim Kardashian was talking about how she's following in her father's footsteps of getting innocent black people off from prison. And she references OJ Simpson because. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And and they start joking about how um like this is like, you know, she stabbed like she makes like stabbing jokes related to OJ. So I'm like, maybe she does know. And there's a very creepy thing with the Rodney Reed case where she poses in a shirt that Rodney Reed wore. And uh, I don't have this image up, but I like uh, and you're not on Twitter, so you might not have seen it. And people realize that she was posing the exact way that they found Stacey Stites in that case. They found her body. Oh my gosh, we I should have you back on to talk about Rodney Reed. That is yes. a, oh my gosh, that's a whole nother thing. Um, so I, I think I think she might know, or she might be that dumb that she's like alliteration, it's a sign. Cause you know, these Hollywood types are into astrology and right. all this hoodoo voodoo new agey like crap. But that is so asinine, just knowing that the victims are gonna be exposed to your series of lies, but you're just doing it so that people think that you are a champion of the black community that's such like a uniquely shitty thing yeah. to do to somebody and to do to somebody's family when somebody in their family a loved one has been murdered right in front of them yeah. uh i do do they have any guilt about this do they have any shame clearly not it's it's just infuriating well um th that's why you that's why they never like it is very rare for them to even mention the howe family mm -hmm. or the paul howe by name like james corden's entire two segments Never mention Paul Howe by name. This is what I talk about where they're like not only erasing the victim, but the family. Right. Like they don't they don't ask to have them on. They don't mention them by name. And it's it's really sick because you you watch uh, the pardon and parole board hearing like the Facebook video and you can see in the live chat people are attacking the Howe family like it's it's crazy. It's just terrible and disgusting. I hope these people um, can realize what they're doing to this family. Uh, and, um, in the quest for justice, what a miscarriage of justice this is. We're always talking about, especially in the true crime community, you know, people that are incarcerated, uh, through no fault of their own, like legitimate, um, miscarriages of justice in that way. But this is a miscarriage of justice for the victim's family and the victim. And it just, it just drives me crazy that nobody's talking about this. Um, before we wrapped up, I did want to talk a little bit about the parole board. Um, am I understanding correctly that the parole board is is kind of staffed with some activists yes. with some black lives matter activists there there's three activists but before i get into that i do want to talk about uh because you mentioned the true crime i think that part of this is the evolution like the natural evolution of true crime becoming so popular right it, it, and it's almost like uh, it's almost like adapting a, a movie into a video game because like <laughs> true crime you're you're normally you're listening you're watching the case is old and like, there's nothing you can do about the case. So you're right. like a passive listener. But these are like, you're, you get to be actively engaged more like a video game. And before people in the chat say that I don't play video games, so I'm not qualified for this, like relax. Uh, so like <laughs> now you get to do justice and all this different stuff. You get to participate in solving this crime. So you're, you're, you've created content that's like personally engaging to people. And like, if the guys actually innocent that's great but in these cases where they're 100 guilty and clearly 
the the whole case that they're making like depends on lying and trying to win over the public opinion because there's no way they could win in court 13 appeals have shown us that it's really toxic and cancerous and like that's what we're watching like it is a choose your own adventure ending isn't it and maybe that's why there's so much public support for him because people will just want to get involved um so yeah let's talk about the parole board i don't know anything about these people if you could give us a little rundown so so the in in the state of Oklahoma, they have this pardon and parole board, and I think they're like a new, relatively new kind of thing, or they have new parameters. And uh, there's three of the four people who have voted in both hearings to let Jones out are in the tank for Julius Jones. And I mean, like Adam Luck, uh, who we talked about, like off air is basically he has a TED talk and you can look it up. And he says uh, Oklahoma's prison system, like incarcerating guilty black people is like literal slavery. And like, who's in favor of slavery? Not me, not you. Like, obviously, we would be against slavery. So he's overwhelmingly on the side of these defendants getting out of prison. He also has a thing, like a little side hustle, where they hire people from prison and they get tax credits from the government when they're released. (gasps) Oh, no, what a terrible conflict of interest. Yes, 100%. And there's a, a female that's on there that has a similar conflict of interest. Uh, like she she works with that same like company or like nonprofit Ooh. on the third guy who did recuse himself in the 11th hour. He's literally retweeting justice for Julius Jones stuff. He's literally retweeting uh, Kim Kardashian stuff on other cases. He's clearly in the tank for that side. And he did recuse himself, but they just replaced him for the hearing with another guy that hates the death penalty. In fact, in the hearing, he literally like even though Jones was claiming innocence, he was like, I don't think the death penalty is appropriate for a 19-year-old. And then the fourth guy, who's the cool guy, is a, is a former prosecutor. He's the one who cross-examined Julius Jones and caught him in five lies in 10 minutes. Like, that guy is the one who's been consistent. Like, Jones doesn't qualify for these hearings because he's been violent in prison. He's a known gang member in prison. He has multiple different, like, they call them X-level violations, which are the highest violations in prison. He So he's like, no hearing no clemency vote no no commutation vote absolutely not and when given the opportunity to question jones he shredded his credibility Mm -hmm. but like none of that matters i remember in one part of the hearing they had this guy explain like how he's against the death penalty and why he voted for clemency and then they shift over to the guy who's going to vote against him and he starts explaining like they caught him in multiple different lies and how can you vote this way and adam luck the you know prison equal slavery guy instead of addressing any of his points just says oh we don't have to like there's actually no requirement to explain it like basically shut up (laughs) like like stop explaining your side because that's like damaging and what's really gross and i pointed this out in the video is that the case after the dna match jones is really down to megan toby's description megan toby showed up to the pardon and parole board hearing the first one and to the clemency hearing she testified after you testified there's time for questions they never once asked megan toby a single question the whole case for innocence relies on this and they didn't even bother to ask her anything related to the description because they didn't want that out there in the public eye because the fix is in oh my gosh that is outrageous that's outrageous i i can't believe that they can do this um pardon my ignorance but i I was a little confused by this why is he up for commutation from death sentence to life with parole is am I right about this? Instead yeah. of without parole. So th- 
so in this case, the the pardon parole board doesn't have actual power. They have the power to recommend, and they're recommending life with parole because they want to let him out. Yeah. Like Julius Jones has money to make. Like I don't know if if you're aware of this, but he's designing sneakers while he's in prison. He's Ugh. he's working on his book. He's doing all these different things to profit off of murdering Paul Howe in front of his children. Like that's how sick this is. And those sneakers are going to come out. By the way, they're ugly as hell. They're like all orange with the white, like Julius, like Jones text on them. But that's what he's doing right now. And like they, there should be laws against profiting off of the crimes that you commit. Right. But like he he's planning to profit in the future and he's profiting now. They're sending him so much money while he's in prison that he's been able to give his family $18,000 while he was in prison. And remember what I said earlier about how they were going to carjack Paul Howe for something that had a four grand street value. Right. He was going to split that with Jones. So this guy I'm um, with Jordan. So this guy was going for two grand and now he has enough money that he can give 18 grand to his family. He's also transferred money to other prisoners. The other prisoners that all of a sudden came forward with jailhouse confessions are also being flooded with money. And this is despite the fact that they have horrible criminal records. Like one of the people that are on Julius Jones's side is somebody who was convicted of killing a baby. And the way that they killed the baby was by pouring scalding hot water on the baby's genitals. Like this is one of the people that they're like, oh, they should have brought him up on the stand to testify. Like that, that's like the level. And there, the, there's another one that's another murderer. And the new one is like a pathological liar that like at one point he was convicted of a disability fraud because he shot himself and said he got injured on the job. So like they're oh. all pathological liars. And these people are profiting off of this. People out there in the world in the name of justice are sending them money. And that's sick. This is so immoral and disgusting. And I think you said gross earlier. Yeah. yeah. This is totally gross. Um. So so what do you think is going to happen before the 18th? Do you have faith that the governor is going to stand strong on this? Do you think he's going to commute the sentence? So we have mixed we have mixed presence from the governor because he is the Oklahoma governor that has commuted more sentences than any other governor in the history of Oklahoma. And the pardon and parole board has fed him a bunch of these commutations. And this was done while Trump was trying to pass that first step act. So like, you know, it's like, oh, we're. We're like criminal justice reform Republicans. However, two people that he's commuted on recommendation have been incredibly violent. There was one, his name is Lawrence something, and I forgot, but you can look this up. He 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 was literally a cannibal. He killed a woman, cut out her heart, then tried to feed it to members of a family. I believe they were actually related to him. And he attempted to murder three of those people after feeding them this human heart. And one of them escaped. And this was like six weeks after he was let out. So this guy, like total monster, they let him out. Same age as Julius Jones, by the way. So like crazy reoffender. And ever since then, the governor's been a little bit more hesitant, as he should, to accept these recommendations. But the governor also, on top of that, has reinstated the death penalty. Like they were, they suspended it back in 2016, 2017. And Governor Kevin Stitt fought in federal court to get the death penalty re-implemented so it's like a mix on those two factors on where he's at so it's really down to the public pressure which is why i've been telling people contact governor stitt call them write them letters do whatever you can to make sure that we don't see him commute jones's sentence because make no mistake if jones gets commuted even to life without parole He's going to be up for these pardon and parole hearings every six months for the rest of his life. He will get out eventually. Even Megan if he Tope, has life without parole? Without parole, yeah. They'll, I mean, he's he wasn't even eligible for these for one of these hearings, uh, the first one, 
under the death penalty, which is why the governor said you have to do it the proper way. But yeah, they'll bring them up. They will break the rules to have them there. And the Howe family will have to be dragged into these hearings time after time to give their testimony. And remember, Megan Toby is the only adult witness of the murder. She mm -hmm. testified at trial. She's 40. I'm sorry. She's 20 years older than Julius Jones. Like she's already getting up there. She's in around her late 50s, 60s. She's not going to be around forever. And it's going to be way easier to get Jones out of prison once she eventually passes away. Right. So like he will get out in the future. He will profit off of this case going forward. And like, I don't, I don't think as a nation, we can let like far left activists go into the reddest state or one of the reddest states in the country, turn a murderer into a hero and make this a profitable venture. So yeah, absolutely. Like it's literally death penalty or he's getting out. If not now, eventually. And if he gets life without parole, they'll immediately recommend him for time served because life is just 25 years. Right. He's been in there for almost 20. You only right. have to serve 85% of your sentence. Yep, exactly. Um. So you mentioned a little bit about contacting the governor. What can we do, especially if we do not have Twitter or Facebook? Uh, I've dropped most of your links in the description, but if you could tell the audience what they can do to put public pressure on the governor uh, to not commute the sentence. Well, there, there's a contact uh, There's a contact form, and I, I think you would have linked it in the description if you grabbed the links for my recent videos, like a contact form for the governor where you I could did, contact yeah. him. And there's a phone number that was in my most recent video that I think I left in the description. I, I don't know it off my off like the, the the top of my head, but you can actually call and leave messages. You could also go to the Justice for Paul Howe uh, Instagram, the Justice for Paul Howe Facebook page if you don't have Twitter. Um, and they're posting the phone numbers and all the information on where to call. They're also gathering like media. So like this will likely be on there, like eventually like clips from it or whatever. Like they're gathering media and linking to that. So it can all be centralized in one location. Follow me. I'm, I'm going over this case. Um, I'm assuming you're going to be on this case from now on. So I would <laughs> subscribe to your channel. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with this case now. I just can't believe that I just heard about this. And you know what led me to this case was um investigating Rodney Reed. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I got into this. Um, so that was my guest, actual justice warrior. Uh thank you so much for covering this case. You really are doing great work. And I just want the audience to remember Paul Howell's family and what they're going through and how tremendously stressful this this must must be for them what they're up against and please um do read the links in the description and contact the governor and I wish you well and um I'll be I'll be watching your channel for the next week to see what happens. Yeah. All right, Thanks thank so you much. for having me on. Bye guys.